The following program is a presentation of Grand Slam Ministries. Hello again, and welcome to episode 25 of the Dan Scott Show. I am Dan, and as you just heard, as always, we are presented by our nonprofit organization, Grand Slam Ministries. How has your week been? I pray that it's been a good one, and looking forward to this next hour where we have another incredible interview coming up. You know, God has been faithful to just continue to open doors for us to have wonderful guests with amazing stories. And you know the premise of this show, God working in people's lives and and the dramatic changes that we have talked about and heard in the lives of the guests over the previous 24 episodes of the show. And and today is no different. And, And as we will talk about in the interview, you know, the internet has its ups and downs. We know that it it has its good side and it has its bad side. And it's like any other tool out there. It's all in how you use it. One of the amazing things about this show is the number of guests that I have gotten off of Twitter, people that I follow or people that I've seen who I, I see their stories and see the work that God has done in their lives and just send them a message. And they may have sometimes hundreds of thousands of followers, and yet that message gets through to them, and they respond and agree to come on the show. Today's guest is one of those. Neil Getzlow is a guy. He has a podcast called Unmasked, and he is a former cultural Jewish atheist who had an addiction to pornography alcohol, prostitution, the, the, the depths of depravity where his life was and, and what you're going to hear as he describes it is, is just a, an, an incredible example that you're never beyond the reach of our Savior Jesus Christ because in 2020, Neil gave his life to Christ saved his marriage, and and what he's doing now in in sharing his story and mentoring men is unbelievable. You're going to hear my interview with Neil Getzlow when we come back. First, though, I want you to hear something about Grand Slam Ministries. Is there someone in your life who has been a spiritual mentor, an influence so great that you'd love to find a way to honor them? For a gift of $200 or more to Grand Slam Ministries, you can dedicate a segment of The Dan Scott Show to that very special person. Honor someone who is currently in your life or remember the legacy of a loved one who has passed. Make your gift online at grandslamministries.org and we will send you an information form which will allow you to tell us all about this special person, how and why they were a spiritual influence, their favorite Bible verses, and anything else that you would like to share. In doing so, you'll be covering our cost of one week's production, helping ensure The Dan Scott Show stays on air and continues to share stories of loved ones like yours. In addition, you'll get your own copy of the program in which your loved one's story airs, either by MP3 or CD. Help the legacy of your spiritual mentor reach others with your gift of $200 or more today. Do so online at grandslamministries.org. That's grandslamministries.org. Follow us on social media. Search Grand Slam Ministries on Facebook and Grand Slam for God on Twitter. And don't forget Dan's personal and public figure sites on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You're listening to The Dan Scott Show, presented by Grand Slam Ministries. Dan Scott Show, episode 25. Good to have you with us on all 13 of our affiliates. And thank each and every one of you for being part of what we are doing here and joining us in the infancy stages of this show and ministry, Grand Slam Ministries. 
Let's hop right into this because the interview is a bit longer than most of the ones we do. Neil Getzlow, Jewish by birth, atheist, prostitution, drug addict, pornography addiction, cost him one marriage. You're never beyond the reach of God, and the miracle that Jesus Christ has done in his life is one that you need to hear, and you're going to right now. As I like to do, we we start from the present and work backwards, and we begin by Neil telling us where he is now and what he's doing. I am currently reside in Kansas City, Missouri with my wife, Amy. We have five boys between two previous marriages. They're all, they're all older, fortunately, so uh, we only have, we're only dealing with one in the house still, so almost to the empty nest stage, but I'd say we're pretty much there. But, uh, you know, today, um, you know, I am a communication professional for my day job. Uh, where I help uh, help my company communicate down. We have, we own a bunch of restaurants, so I, I help with that. But you know, really, my main mission, right, is serving God, and and um, He is leading me to some places where I never thought I'd be leading, helping men overcome their struggles with pornography. Um, you know, serving at our church, hosting small groups, um, learning about the Bible. Um, starting up hopefully soon going to be um, putting together celebrate recovery ministry at our church and i have an opportunity to help sort of build that up from the ground floor and so it's just you know god's continuing to lead me in ways where just i'm just letting him go like you you show me where you want to go just take me there i'm yours (laughs) we we as men have a hard time letting go of the will yeah it can be tough and, and and saying that and and my problem one of my multiple problems has always been trying to get ahead of God, and uh, and, and that's yes. a disaster. Yes. Uh, the the celebrate recovery thing is cool though. I, I actually spoke at a celebrate recovery meeting. Um, it's been about a month ago now. Oh, cool! To to a to a, a group who are, are going through yeah. that and and shared some things and um, it's it's really great to see churches. I know there are several in, in our area here in the upstate of South Carolina, uh, but I know it's, it's branching out and, and it's really all over the country now. It's great to see churches no longer turning a blind eye to this and 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 trying to embrace a way to help people who have addictions. Yeah, no, it's it's. I think it's it's critical. That's one of the things that I've learned since I, and I've just you know, became a believer in 2020 and started going to church. That's one of the first things that that I noticed that, well, this, this shocked me, right? Like I had this perception of everyone who goes to this church is holy, right? They are, they are above reproach. Mm-hmm. What, I've, what I've learned is that, no, they're pretty much like me, still just woefully broken and they're needing, you know, needing a savior. And we're still stuck in our, as Celebrate Recovery says, our hurts, hangups and habits that we all have. And so it is, and I, I'm just, I'm, I'm blessed that our church is open to that and trying to get, trying to lift people up. One of the best things that I did when I got saved uh, over 11 years ago, a little over 11 years ago now, is about six months in, I started going to a weekly men's prayer breakfast mm, that we yeah. have at our church. And our, our men's ministry is just incredible. And, and, and I still go uh, practically every week. But the thing that I found out there, I was kind of like you. All these guys are, you know, I, I had them up on, yes. uh, on, on a podium. You know, they they were they were all all super Christian. And and as I found out, guys who've been walking with the Lord for 10, 15, 20, 30, some forty or fifty years, still had stories, still had struggles, still had battles that were, in, in a lot of ways, similar to what I was going through six months in to my salvation story. And and it's it's comforting to know that there are other men who've been down that road that you can go to and say, Hey, this is what I'm struggling with. Yeah. That's what, you know, that's one of the more interesting things that I found out. So last, and I know we'll, we'll get into all these details yeah. last September though. I had uh, my wife and I had a chance to share our testimony in front of the full church over a course of one weekend. And then following that, you know, so many men have come up to me and continue to come up to me saying, you know, I'm struggling with pornography. Right. And so they just, it's inside the church. Right. And that's so that's what fuels me to know that that if if God can break me and break me clean from that, then he must he's telling me, like, OK, I'm going to I'm going to break you from this. But now I need you to help other men do the same thing if if, you, if I'm going to heal you completely. And so it is now that's my that's my mission now is to help 
help men who are struggling with this, but really too, you know, just help marriages, mm-hmm. right? I think that pornography ruins marriages. Um, and when you're able to get yourself clean from that, it changes, it changes everything about every relationship that you have. And it's something that you, you have to remain diligent about every day moving Definitely. forward. Yeah. And, and, and we'll talk about all of that, yeah. uh, but I wanted to kind of establish where you are, what you're doing yeah. now. And uh, so let, let's, let's go back and, and talk about how you were raised. You're, you're Jewish by birth, right? That's right. Um, yeah. Jewish by blood. My, both my parents were Jewish. And so, but I, so I'm grandfathered in for the fact that my mom was Jewish. So I have Jewish blood running through me. <laughs> so, and I, I always joke, like I'm, I'm Jewish, but only for the, the culture and the food, right? There's no, you know, I, I didn't have a relationship with God. Well, and, and um, that, that, that's kind of where I was going to go. Yeah. Were, were you culturally Jewish growing up or were your, were your parents practicing Jews from the religion standpoint? What was growing up in that household like? Yeah. So my, my grandparents, they came over from Russia to Ellis Island in the early 1900s. Wow. Yeah. And, um, they came, uh, they were, they were Jews and, um, settled in St. Louis. That's so that's where I grew up. And so they were very, very Jewish and re- probably I'm going to get myself in trouble here when I start talking about this. Um, they were Jewish and they were religiously Jewish, but it was again, more, as you know, if you read the old Testament, it's a lot of ritual mm-hmm. ritualistic thing. It's again, it's not, it's missing the, the actual relationship right. with God. So, but, so you did all the traditions, all the the holidays, they spoke Yiddish, you know, they, they were, if you put a picture, you know, picture a Jewish family in, in your mind, you know, that's what my grandparents and, and her brothers and sisters, that was them. Uh, but then, of course, as the generations go on, it sort of becomes a little bit weaker. And, you know, so for so my mom and dad, they were, again, they knew the traditions, but they weren't, again, that was about it, really. My brother got bar mitzvah at the age of 13. My sisters went to, a, you know, a, a, a temple on Sundays for, you know, Sunday school. I never went. So I had no, like I had no exposure to religion at all uh, growing up, but, you know, I grew up in the suburb of St. Louis, a very Jewish suburb. Like all my friends were Jewish. They were all getting bar mitzvahed. Um, I felt a connection to them because of my Judaism, but that, again, I had no idea when they would go t- through this bar mitzvah ceremony and read from the Torah. I had no idea what they were reading about. Mm-hmm. Right. I, they were, they would go to, we'd have go to school during Passover and they'd bring their matzah crackers and, and eat that. And, um, I would just see my regular lunch. I'm like, I don't know what you guys are doing. Like, why, why are you doing that? Took me a while to learn that about 50 years. We're visiting with Neil Getzlow on this week's edition of the Dan Scott show. So growing up that way with the, the, the cultural aspects of it, when did you decide in your mind that there was no God or was that a conscious decision? You just never grew up with any knowledge of God. Yeah. I I don't know if I ever made a conscious decision Mm -hmm. necessarily, but I just didn't, when I got, you know, I, you know, my family was pretty like most, a lot of families are a lot of, this is where a lot of our, our trauma comes from is broken families and families dealing with their own generational sin, if you will. And, and mine was no exception, of course. So just just no concept of religion or God or or what it meant. And so by the time I got to college, you know, I was just living my life, right? And just thinking there's no, there's no, um, there's nothing more than this, mm-hmm. right? So I'm gonna I'm gonna live life to the fullest and enjoy the heck out of it while I'm here. There were a couple times where, so I like you know in 1991, start of the first Gulf War, you know, so I'm of military age and could be drafted at that point. So I'm thinking, oh, well, is there something, you know, is there, is there a God? I think I actually went to a a church once just absolutely like, this is not like, I hated it. Not for me. And I I wore this as a badge of honor too, Mm -hmm. for most of my life as a very cynical, non-believing atheist person that I consider myself like that was my, that was my badge of honor. That was my identity. And my identity was rooted in this world fully and I didn't care or, or want anything to do with what might be the the truth, what mm-hmm. might actually be another reality out there that I was just blind to for so long. 
You know, what's interesting is I'm listening to how you were brought up and everything. I, I told you that there are a lot of similarities between your story and my story, and it just goes to show you that there's no blueprint for getting into that scenario because you came from a Jewish background but but little to no religion. My dad is a pastor and a preacher and still is at age 75 and is the, the godliest man that I know. So you grew up with basically no religion. I grew up with great Christian parents, you know, living out what it was supposed to be. I, yeah. I, I, I never, it was not that I, that I didn't believe in God and know who Jesus was. I did, but I was just running a hundred miles an hour in the other direction for a long, long time. So it's just intriguing. And it's one of the things I love about doing this radio show, Neil, is because as I talk to people, there, there's such a diversity in where they were and how they get to the point. And we're going to talk about that in, in a bit, yeah. but, but how they get to the point where God gets hold of them and, and becomes real to them. There's just no blueprint in how God works. And that's, you know, and I do, I do my own podcast called mm-hmm. Unmasked, so I'll give it a plug for, for my show. And um, and so I talk to a lot of people who sort of have the same um, background as you as far as, like, they grew up with the church. They, you know, either parents or, you know, churchgoers or religious or whatever, but for for whatever reason, they, they slipped away, and whether it's church hurt or, you know, something else that happened drew them like they'll react. It's one of the things that I've, I've noticed is the commonality in, in the stories that I hear is that people drift away because man, men, men and women are, are driving them away, not God or Jesus, but the, you know, the things that, that men and humans do to each other, that's what makes people think of, oh, well, maybe God just isn't, isn't here for me. One of the things that we have in common is the the pornography addiction, and, and yeah. I I saw on on your website as I was trying to research as, as much about your story as I could that you were first exposed to pornography at age nine. That's right. Yeah, nine years old. It's uh, right back in my my childhood. Um, we lived uh, in a house at the time, like it was literally like ten. 10 footsteps away from the, the, um, the playground of my school. So very close. It was awesome. And, uh, but behind our playground, there was this wooded area and it was called the playboy forest. And we'd ride our bikes there after school. And after the older kids got out of the way, we'd go in there and this little, you know, nook was carved out and on the ground of the, you know, forest, there were these ripped up pages of, of playboy and penthouse magazines. And not the full magazines, but just enough, right, as a nine-year-old to be like, this is intriguing. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where I got hooked. That's what filled up my heart. So it's, it's interesting. This this happened at the same time I'm discovering pornography as my parents are getting divorced. So I'm moving schools. I'm moving away from all my friends. My dad has gone to live somewhere else, so I don't see him as much. My mom now starts to work. So the common – and my sisters – my two sisters and brothers – they were 10 years older than me, so they're already out of the house. Mm-hmm. So the, the theme here is alone. And that's what, this is something that when I got saved out of this, I also talked to a faith-based counselor, um, which is hugely important on my mental health journey. And he asked me this really, um, really interesting, intriguing question, which he said, what's the first thing you had to learn how to do when you were a little kid? And for me, I had to learn how to be alone. Because my because all this was happening, I moved away from all my friends. My relationships had changed. My mom and I went to this apartment where there was no other kids around. That's what filled up my heart was pornography. I thought, okay, well, this is something I can latch on to. I don't know why. But at, at the same time, um, when we moved into this apartment, my mom in her room on either side of her bed were these two nightstands that were stacks of Playboy and Penthouse magazines. So what's, what's a nine, 10, 11 year old going to do all day alone in the summer is that's how I filled up my time. Cause I just didn't, I didn't have anything else. And that's what I, th- and so that's, that's what started the rewiring of my brain mm-hmm. where now I'm, I'm thinking that love equals sex, sex equals love. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot of affection and, and love shown toward me as a, as a, um, a, a little kid. So 
this is what I thought was normal. That's that's just what I thought it was. And at the, at the same time, cable TV is just starting because you know, I'm your typical latchkey kid of the 80s. Mm -hmm. So now I'm getting HBO and Showtime and Cinemax bombarded at me um, right in my own home with, again, with images of sex and sexuality and sexuality being love. And and that's that's what set me down this path. That's what I, based on everything that I took in, based on this hole in my heart that I was looking to fill, I filled it with with things that were showing me, you know, the wrong way of of how I viewed all this. And but I carried that with me in, in every single relationship uh, for most of my life. You and I were probably about the same age when I first saw those pictures from a mm -hmm. magazine. It was kind of a similar situation. There was a place climb up on on some rocks above a place where we used to play ball and in a, in a hidden area somebody yeah somebody had a magazine and mm, yeah. um and i don't remember that having that much of an effect on me but when i was a junior in high school i saw my first pornographic film mm. and, and and that's where that road really really started for me um when it's almost like it was it was a it was a rite of passage, right? Yeah. And like you would go, I'd go over to um, next door neighbor's house and we'd play a little bit. And then the second, after we'd play outside, we'd come back inside and be like, all right, where, where's your dad's pornography stash? Mm -hmm. And we'd go rifling through the closets and drawers and boom, there it was. Yeah. You know? Yeah. At nine years old, I'm imagining you weren't really comprehending everything you were seeing. But, no, but but it no. but it obviously had some effect on you and and I, I I think that I can say this with some confidence that once you start down that road it's like any other addiction that that you, you need more and more and more to satisfy and, and you never really get satisfied but you have to have more and more to try to satisfy whatever you want to call it the the dark place that you're going yeah. to or whatever terminology you want to use but it's one thing where there's there's no going back no there isn't and in that right and that it, it absolutely was that for me you know i again i had this hole in my heart this is my medication mm -hmm. right for some people it might have been at that age maybe it's drinking a beer or smoking pot or you know having a cigarette whatever it was like for me it was pornography and so that was the cycle that started at age nine and so as i went throughout my life it became a shame cycle and that I would repeat over and over and over again. Like I, I, I'd feel lonely. I'd feel unloved. So we're, I'm, I'm reaching out to my medication. Well, my medication is pornography. So I'm looking at the porn makes me feel better for, for a few minutes. But then when I'm done looking at it, now the shame sets in. This is why nobody loves me. This is why I'm alone. I need to go look at porn. And so the cycle just continues it spirals on and on. But to your point, that only satisfies for so long. And then soon as I got older and had more access to additional money, more of my own time being, being home alone or being on my own. Um, when I got into my, you know, college and into my early twenties, you know, I had access to other things. So, so early, you know, when I started, this was all, all magazines, right. But then you go to, videos and then you know harder and stronger videos more explicit more you know um, and then the internet comes along the internet comes and blows everything up mm -hmm. and then but it you know even before the internet right it was going to um there were adult theaters mm -hmm. we could go watch movies in a theater and there was um strip clubs obviously so you'd, you'd go and try to, to get your your fill there and yeah then the internet comes in and and opens it up and you know, for me, that opened up a giant Pandora's box because it opened up the world to um, to online sex and to look, you know, buying prostitutes online. Hmm. You know, that's that's that is what that that evil led me to for most of my adult life. Visiting with Neil Getzlow on this edition of uh, the Dan Scott Show, did pornography then lead you to other issues, alcohol, drugs, those kind of things? I never had necessarily an a, a addiction to those things, mm -hmm. but uh, they they all kind of worked together in their own way. Like pornography was the the thing I could not was the vice I could not break. Mm -hmm. I could stop drinking if I wanted to, but problem I I didn't really want to. Like I 
I wanted to celebrate my sins. So um, I'd go out, drink, get drunk with my friends um, or smoke weed and just just partake in all that. Um, and then that would lead me to do other things, make it, it would make it easier to, to do other things. And, and of course, you know, um, this, so I had, so I've been, I'm on my, Amy's my second wife. We'll we'll talk about her, Mm -hmm. um, here in a little bit, you know, my first marriage ended in, in an affair that I had with, with these addictions to pornography, but I really wasn't much of a, a drinker or, um, at the time, but after I got divorced, that's when the drinking came in, the, the, um, the marijuana came in. And, um, so oftentimes I would, I would say, you know, what it was an addiction for me. And I guess on this show, I think it's appropriate to talk about mm-hmm. sports. Sports became an addiction to me where my identity was rooted in how my team did day in and day out. And if the, the Kansas Jayhawks basketball team had a good week, I'm flying high. But if we lost early in March, which happened happens more often than you want to admit to, <laughs> but it does, then my month is ruined, mm-hmm. right? That's that's where my identity was in, and so I'd spend I just spend more time out at the bars with my friends watching sports, at home watching sports with my wife is upstairs in another room alone. Like I left her alone a lot, mm-hmm. and it um, it again it all kind of works together, and it was all working together to trying to sabotage my marriage. And I I was doing a very good job of that, by the way. Baseball coach that I worked closely with about four or five years ago said something that really had an impact on me and talking to his team. uh, He he said this talking about coaching baseball is what I do. It's not who I am. And, and that, that really resonated with me because even after I became a Christian, it's easy in in my business, especially when, when there are exciting moments that your voice is attached to and, and, and people, you know, tell you what a great job you've done. It's easy to have your identity get lost in something like that. And, And I have to constantly remind myself that, you know, this is, this is what I do. It's not who I am. And, and, and I'll share this with you very quickly. This past March, Furman men's basketball made the NCAA tournament for the first time in 43 years and then upset Virginia in the first yeah. round in, in a uh, an incredible comeback finish with a last-second shot. And my call of that opened CBS's national television coverage the next two days. The, the Twitter clip has been seen – I don't know, 200,000 times and just everybody telling you how fantastic it was. I did seven radio interviews the next day uh, in in the the day between the first and second round, two of them national shows. And then as Mm -hmm. I said at a church uh, just a couple of weeks ago when I shared my testimony, Neil, 48, 72 hours later, nobody knew who I was because everything had moved on. Yeah. You know, the next big moment took over. That's right. And and, and that, that was... That was, to me, God reminding me that that's what you do, but it's not who you are. Yeah, I love that. That's such a great, great thing to remind her. And it's something that, that gosh, um, I, I try to remind myself that now. Like, and you know what? The work I do is not, you know, it's nothing glamorous at all. It is just a typical, that's, that's where God has me positioned right now from a, you know, how I'm able to make money. He's mm-hmm. put me in a job that... Um, just I can do it. Keep my head down and do it. My my mission field is talking to other people there, and, and all some of the other ministry work that I do outside of that. But it's not a job. That job doesn't define me anymore. It, where it, in a way it used to. Right. Visiting sure. with Neil Getzlow. So as as you're in the throes of all of this, and and one marriage has has suffered and died because of this and, and you're getting deeper and deeper into the pornography and now you add the drinking and the other stuff onto it. Is there anything at all going on in your mind that says, yeah, you, you know, you talked about the shame, but is there anything at all that says there's got to be something more there? There's, there's, you know, it, God, if you're up there, can you deliver me from this? Was that even a thought process for you? Honestly? No. Yeah. Never it, it, up until the moment where God decided to hit me in the head with a two by four. No, there was there was no 
consideration of it all. What I, the pain I was creating in uh, that that I didn't never never saw mm-hmm. next to me and my wife didn't realize how, what she was feeling because I was just you know I I wrote a book called Unmasked, right? And that's so that's what I did. I put the mask on, shoved everything inside like a like any like that's how I thought men were supposed to be. Shoved all the feelings, all, anything, shoved it all inside, so nobody knew what was going on inside my world. And frankly, again, it was it was a life I didn't want to I didn't want to uh, to give up. I was not looking to give it up. I thought that I could do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. And I and I had this false confidence, like as long as I keep my mask on, I can I can get away with this forever. But then God God had other ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and we're gonna get to that here in, yeah, in just yeah. a moment. Um the and we know that God has a plan. And, yes. and and hindsight is normally when we see these things drop into place. But you you had one marriage that failed because of your behavior, and, and then I don't want to say you you tricked Amy in, into marrying you, but obviously she didn't know the person that you were. How, how how did you get how did you get into this situation to get remarried again? Uh, were you hiding it that well? So it's interesting you say the word she tricked, or I tricked her to get married. So. Because I think she tricked me. Uh. I'll I'll tell you why here. Um, So between the time that um, I got divorced and the time I met Amy and we started um, dating, you know, that that addictions subsided somewhat Mm -hmm. because I was I was single. So I could go out and but what turned what went from pornography to having a series of one night stands with random women that were not going to go anywhere and bouncing from one relationship to another. So it was very unfulfilling as I look back on it now, but when I met Amy, you know, she was not a, she was, she grew up Catholic, but she was not a necessarily a believer. Uh, she was definitely was not a follower of Christ when we got, when we got, uh, uh, married. And so we were living a very glorious, sinful life together, going out and partying together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we moved in before marriage and premarital sex and all that. Like we, we, again, we celebrated our sin. And then three months after we got married, she says, Neil, I'm a born again Christian. I found Christ. Three months after. And remember who she's talking, mm-hmm. saying this to, a Jew. Like she, she is speaking. I feel like she is speaking at the time, just flames coming out of her mouth. Right. Right. And I, so I did everything I could for the next eight years to avoid her. Right. Like I didn't want anything to do with with her. And I told friends she's gone crazy because she she like looking back on it now, she did change. Right. She God gave her a new heart. Mm-hmm. She changed the things that we love to do together. We didn't love doing together anymore. Right. And so. um So I, I think I that's why I like I, when you say she, I tricked her, I think she tricked me. <laughs> Or the Lord tricked both of you. That that may be yeah. actually is the more realistic answer there. So, you you said you spent the next eight years or so trying to avoid her, but yeah. but, I, but you also said that you you noticed a change in her life. Was there ever a point during that time where you found yourself privately saying, "I want what she has"? No, not once. Really, <laughs> not once. I had no idea this was this was coming, Dan. I really didn't. No idea this is coming for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I again, I would be out drinking, you know, every weekend with my friends. Well, I left Amy home alone all the time. She'd go to church. I went with her maybe one time on Easter and another time on Christmas. And now nah, I just knew it wasn't like, for me. like, like most good Christians, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. Just didn't want any part of it. And um, she would, it's funny that she would play. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Ray Comfort, but um, he's a Living Waters ministry. He's got some great videos on YouTube about him doing some open air preaching and evangelism. Mm-hmm. She'd play me his videos every night. I, 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 I'm not sure if I, if this is true or not, but I she'd play him before we go to sleep. So I would fall because I try to fall asleep as quickly as I could while she's playing these videos mm-hmm. that maybe subliminal subliminally like it's it's seeping into my my heart <laughs> and my mind perhaps. Uh, but it, it was it was literally was going to take an act of God for me to finally 
uh, to finally wise up. Well, and, and, and we're getting there, but I, I always like when, when I'm, yeah. I'm dealing with somebody who has a story like this, because I know I got to a point where I hit rock bottom. Yes. What was rock bottom for you? Rock bottom for me. Yeah. It's, um, it was February 26, 2020. Uh, well, I should say there's, there was like, th- like three steps to rock bottom. Okay. But I, so I had to hit a few rocks as I'm falling down there. The first rock that I hit was uh, February 2020. Um, my addiction to pornography led me to and led me to buying women online for sex, led me to a hotel room in Chicago on a business trip where I made an arrangement to meet a woman, uh, went and met her. And as I was getting ready to leave the hotel, there was a second bedroom and that door pop- pops open and there was a man dressed in drag. He looked like an offensive lineman for the Chicago Bears. And says to me, uh, and he holds up his phone in his hand, and he says, you're going to pay us more money or we're going to call your wife Amy. And on his cell phone was my wife's Facebook page and her telephone number. It was all right there. Mm. Like, like, I'm just, so at that moment, I'm like, like I knew, like I, I knew I put myself in some dangerous situations before, but this is like the first time that I was like, I've kind of faced that moment of, there's a chance I might actually die in this hotel room tonight. Mm or it was actually in the morning. And so I did whatever I could to get out of that room. So it was about $900 later. I paid this couple. It was all through app, right through Venmo. Um, so I didn't have to have the cash. I could just pay it right off a credit card. Luckily, only $900 out. As I'm running down the hall, though, I can hear the door open. Hey, you're going to have to pay us more money or we're going to call your wife. But I made it out of the hotel room. And this is where this is why I called my book Unmasked, because I went about my day nobody knew I'd just been blackmailed by a prostitute. Nobody. I went about, had my business meetings. They were great. Had a great day. I didn't even think about it twice. Once I got out of the hotel, Amy picked me up from the airport that night in Kansas city. They hadn't called her yet. So she acted like nothing was wrong. So I'm like, this is great. I think I'm going to be okay here. They're going to get bored. They're not going to call Amy. It was just a way to get more money out of me. I'm going to call their bluff. But then exactly three days later, Sunday night, March 1st, 2020, 9.30 p.m. exactly, I'm on my laptop working in my office and my phone starts blowing up and it's this couple again and they're texting me saying, hey, you're going to have to pay us more money in 15 minutes or we're calling Amy. And which again, I just I just ignored. I'm not sure. Like, I think I might have been more in shock. Like, what do I do? Like, what do I do? I'm not sending them any more money. I'm just thinking, well, I'm going to ease. I, they must have other marks. So I'm just going to ignore it. And they'll get bored, move on. Fortunately, at nine or fortunately, depending on how you look at it here, 945, 15 minutes later, I hear Amy's phone blowing up upstairs. And it's this couple, and they were sending her text messages. They were sending her pictures. Uh, they basically were ripping the mask uh, off my face. And she comes running down the stairs. And I I, I could just I can still hear her footsteps growing louder as they she comes to my office and the door flies open. She's like, Are you cheating on me? And of course, now I did what any good addict would do, which is I lied. I said, no, I, I'm I'm not. This is the first time I'd ever done anything. I don't know why I did it. I'm never going to do it again. Um, I want to work on our marriage. All, all those were lies, right? And so um, I was more sorry that I was caught mm-hmm. than I was sorry about the pain that is right standing right in front of me. And so that that led... That, that was sort of set off this wild chain of events over the next six weeks, because you think about the timing of this. So this is March, 2020, two weeks after this COVID-19 arrives, we are now locked down together. Both of our jobs were impacted by COVID. So we're now at home together for three months. Like, like it was, this is God's way of saying, I'm going to take away everything that you love in this world. I'm going to take away your pornography. I'm going to take away the sex with other women. I'm going to take away the drugs, the alcohol, the partying with your friends. What are you going to do now? Um, what it led me to the fast forward to April, uh, April 14th, 2020. Um, I had set up an arrangement to meet another woman in Kansas city, even though I had this encounter had been blackmailed. It didn't stop me from, wanting to meet somebody else, right? Mm-hmm. I still have this addiction from me. Set up this other appointment. Um, I did it all from my computer. 
Amy has no idea how to get on my computer. It's locked all the time. And she doesn't even, she has, she's not very computer literate, um, which I thought was good for me. So I, I go to, um, go to, go to meet this woman, but 10 minutes later, I get all these text messages. They're from Amy. I left my computer unlocked, which I don't ever do. And she got on there and took screenshots of these things. I was messaging this woman and were sending them to me, which she has no idea how to do. If I asked her to do it now, she wouldn't know how to do it. Like there's God was absolutely like forcing my hand. So I immediately turned around, came home and I don't even remember what I told Amy. It was just a bunch of bunk. She wasn't buying any of it, rightly so. So, um, but she said to me before we went to bed that night, she's like, if you want to save this marriage, you have to pray to God and ask him for help. That's your only way you're going to save this marriage. So the next morning I woke up, she was already gone. She's upset. She went to go blow off some steam. So I'm laying in bed and that's when I prayed for the first time. And I just said, God, I don't, like, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I need help. Like if, if there, if help is out there, will you just give me a sign and let me know and I'll take it because I'm kind of, this is, I'm kind of at rock bottom here. Mm-hmm. And um, as soon as I finished that prayer, the door pops up, the garage door pops up and it was Amy coming home. And Amy is the key to this entire story. She was the hope, the help that God had sent to me all along, which I never realized. Right. And um, so later that afternoon, God put it on my heart to confess everything to her. Like, and I don't, I don't know why, but I did. And I, I sat her down and told her that for our entire marriage, basically I was looking at pornography and I was cheating on her with women that I would meet online. And what happened next changed our lives um, completely, totally um, in ways that I just, I still have find hard to believe. She looked at me and she said, Neil, Jesus forgave me for my sins. How can I not forgive you for yours? I forgive you. And um, I still think about it now. And it's, it's amazing. Like, and I know that like, that's Amy forgiving me, but that's also Christ Mm -hmm. working the Holy spirit working through her say, I forgive you. And that was the moment the chains broke free for me. And I've been porn free now for three years plus. No, like, and not even just no desire. I don't want anything to do with that old life. Mm-hmm. The old Neil is dead and gone. And in its place is this new, new person with a new heart, with new desires, with the love of Christ. My identity is in God. I am a child of God. And it is, it has changed our marriage um, in so many ways. And yeah. I know you're running out of time here. So I no. want to make, I want to say this real quick because I, I want to make it clear because Amy got a lot of grief for this from some of her friends, like her forgiveness did not take away any of the accountability or responsibility that I had to do in my life to get my life right. And mm-hmm. to get our marriage, right. That was on me. Right now, her forgiveness made sure that there was going to be no bitterness along the way. But I, I had lots of work to do to rebuild trust in our marriage. Two things I think about. Number one, April 14th is my birthday. Well, there you go. So, Good day. Uh, yeah. And, and um, so that, that that next day when she said she forgives you, is that that's when you prayed to receive Christ? She, yes. So she's the one who led you to Christ? She did. She did. And it's interesting. So that was on a Tuesday. On Saturday... Uh, Saturday evening, I'm I'm laying in bed and like I am like doubled over, like because I'm 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 under I'm literally under spiritual warfare. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand at the time, but I just like I couldn't move. I could barely talk. I felt like I was had these stomach cramps. I'm like, what? And I looked over at Amy and she's she's looking at me like, what's going on? I'm like, I don't know. Like I can't. Like I'm in pain here. And she just looked at me and she's like, you're having spiritual warfare. She's like the the enemy knows that he's losing you and this is his last attempt to try to, to get his hands on you. And and as soon as she said that, like it just evaporated, right. It was just, mm. it's amazing. Um, but that was the week I gave my, my life to Christ. So three years later. Yeah. Uh, you and Amy are working together and sharing your testimony, sharing your story and, and, and taking the, those incredibly awful, painful experiences and using it to help other people, men, other couples. It's just incredible what God will do. He'll bring you through a situation, and then 
in a sense, puts you right back in it. Only, yeah. only now you're on the other side of it, helping people yeah. who are where you used to be. So it's it's so I mean it's so amazing how God works. So the church that we go to, the Rock of KC in Kansas City, Missouri, uh, that church I believe in Kansas City is ground zero for the fight against sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. Um, our pastor for the past twelve years, we do a run to stop it event in October, where we raise money with a hundred percent of the funds goes to different organizations um, that are fighting against sex trafficking in our area. Like, what are the odds of of all the churches in the world? God's going to set me down in a place where <laughs> sex trafficking is such is talked about from the pulpit. Mm-hmm. But pornography and the evils of pornography are talked about by the pastors. Like, it just you couldn't write this any. There's only one person that could write this story. That's God, mm-hmm. right? Just to set me in that church where um, now I can actually do the work that that I was called to do, which is trying to help other men get out of it. So where do you see it going from here? So it's a, gosh, I'm, I'm asking God that all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of stuck in this and I'm trying to be patient. Like you said, like, I'm, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Like I'm just trying to let it come to me. And if I just keep walking in faith, I know God will lead me in the right direction. So, um, like I said, I think a big thing coming up is, um, celebrate recovery. I think that's going to be a huge, a huge piece of my story in this church. So I'm anxious to, uh, excited to, um, to start that and, and jump into that. Um, I have, I still have a podcast that I'm doing, uh, weekly. Uh, hope you can check it out. Um, I'm going to start writing again. I haven't done much writing since I wrote the book, so I'd like to start writing again and, um, continuing to, to lift men up out of their and, and minister to men, uh, but one other thing that I am sort of trying to um, take more of an active role in is, is speaking out against uh, sex trafficking and the demand for pornography and the demand for sex trafficked women, because uh, I can speak from a pretty unique voice. And um, I'm actually um, reached out to a local state representative in Missouri who uh, introduced a bill that um, would make uh, make buying a, um, sex a felony in the state of Missouri. And uh, I told them I'd like to provide testimony for this bill when the time, if if and when the time comes. Mm. And so we're going to meet and talk about that. And I want to, um, we've got to do something about this demand. And um, but God is that that's the battlefield that God has put me on going forward. It's funny when you say you're trying to be patient. Shortly after I got saved, within a couple of weeks, my dad called me to see how I was doing, and I said I'm doing okay. You know, my life was a shambles at that time because we were just starting to try to put our marriage back together. My wife and I, we, God allows us both to live till September 1st. It'll be 34 years. And, uh, I said, I'm just praying for patience. He said, Oh son, don't do that. And, and and then David Jeremiah said Mm -hmm. that somebody in his congregation asked him to pray for patience. He said, do you really want me to do that? He said, because the Bible says tribulation works patience. Mm. So (laughs) if you pray for Mm. patience, what you're going to get are circumstances that teach you patience. So yeah. <laughs> that's a good way to look be, be at it. Be careful what you ask for, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I guess maybe the better way, the better way to think about it is on God's timing. There whatever it is, I want to be on His timeline, not my timeline. Right. Right. Yeah. As as I, <laughs> I shared with you earlier, when yeah. when you get uh, ahead of God, it, it becomes a an unmitigated disaster. Tell tell everybody uh, about the podcast, about yeah. the book, about the website. How can they find out more? Uh, about this incredible story and what you're doing now. Yeah, if you go to neilgetzlow.com, N-E-I-L-G-E-T-Z-L-O-W.com, you can go there learn more about my journey. You can learn more about my book, Unmasked, over there. Um, I'm also, like I said, I'm going to be doing some more writing, so I've start, started a Substack. I'm not sure how that works yet, but I'm going to be posting some weekly blogs and updates, and then my podcast will be on there as well, Unmasked. Uh, and you can find that on Apple or Spotify or your favorite podcast player. And, and then you can also just, I'm on Twitter at Neil gets low Facebook. Uh, please don't, don't hesitate to contact me. If you know someone that's struggling, um, reach out to me and I'd love to be able to, to, uh, help guide the best I can. Hey, the internet has its, its evils. We know that, yeah. but I can't tell you 
how many of these interviews that we've done in, in six months have come from me doing just what I did to you, reaching yep. out to you on Twitter and, yep. and, and saying, Hey, would you be a guest on the show? So it, it, if, if, it, it's like any tool. If it's used for good, there's good that can come out of it. That's right. Absolutely. Thank you for your time. Oh, I thank you so much for the opportunity. Can you see or hear why I am so grateful that God has led me into this ministry? To be able to to tell stories like Neil Getzlow's, it, it's such an inspiration and, again, a reminder that you cannot get beyond the reach of Jesus Christ. And if you are listening to this show and, and you think that maybe you've been too bad in your life or, or you think, well, I've got to get myself cleaned up and straightened out and then I'll go to church or then I'll get my life to Christ. It doesn't work that way. It, it the, What you do is, is you just say, God, I'm a mess. Forgive me. Here I am. And he'll do that. And you can accept Christ. And then the change begins. Thank you, Neil Getzlow, for joining us. We need to take a very quick break and we'll come back and wrap up this episode 25 of the show right after this. Teenage boys and young men today are in crisis. Statistics show that a home without a father or male role model present is the single biggest indicator of poverty, behavior issues, drug and alcohol abuse, criminal activity, and yes, imprisonment. At Grand Slam Ministries, one of our core missions is developing a mentorship program to teach boys how to become strong Christian men and then teach those men to be the biblical husbands, fathers, and church and community leaders the Bible calls us to be. We need your prayers, we need your ideas, and we need your support. Visit our website, grandslamministries.org, to find out more about our mentorship mission and prayerfully consider how you may be able to assist us. Again, that website is grandslamministries.org. Want to see a listing of our affiliates? Check out videos or listen to past shows and explore our archives? It's all available at our website, danscottshow.org. And now, back to the show. Final segment of this week's show and a very quick one. Neil Getzlow. Just an amazing story. God's redemptive power and grace through Jesus Christ. And uh, again, I just implore you, never think you're too far gone, ever. If you think you're too far gone and you've been too bad to be redeemed by Christ, go back into the Old Testament and read the story of King Manasseh. Uh, And I'll just leave it at that. Do some research on King Manasseh. Find out why Billy Graham said that he may have been the most wicked man who ever lived, and Billy Graham lived during Hitler's era. said Manasseh may have been worse than him, and yet he found redemption in God. You can do it too. Thank you, Neil Getzlow. Thank you for joining us as always. Just a reminder, if you missed this, want to hear it again, want to share it, or any of our previous episodes, danscottshow.org is a jumping off point for everything that we do including the Grand Slam Ministries site it is a page there and the affiliates and archives page you can access everything that we've done in the past if uh, podcast is your thing you can just search the Dan Scott Show podcast wherever you get your podcast from we are on virtually every platform out there and would encourage you to do that. Also, we want your feedback. We would love to hear from you. We got some great feedback from one of our newest affiliates, WXSM, the Sports Monster, in the Tri-Cities area of Tennessee. A couple of listeners dropped some messages. We'd encourage you to do the same. Dan at danscottshow.org is the easiest way to do it. We'll see you again next week with another edition of the show. Until then, I'm Dan. God bless you. So long, everybody.